And I love the way the music this morning began by just exalting for God, for who He is in all of His glory, and then we came down to just uh, singing a prayer, Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, and as our response, well, morning, Jeff, Tanya, good to have you all with us uh, this morning, but I'm, I'm getting re- ready to preach right now. I know we've been away for a little while, we've been traveling, visiting friends and stuff, just get a little bit of rest and relaxation People remind Ben and I of that all the time. I, you know, like I said, I'm glad to see y'all here, but uh, right now I'm getting ready to preach. So if y'all, y'all have a seat, I'll, I'll well, go yeah, ahead. I know we got your email, and that's, that's what we're doing. We're here to encourage you. We're, we're back now. We're ready to get after it again, back in the game, ready to break a sweat for Jesus. Well, are you ready to get after it again? Yeah, well, I mean, I know uh, I'm surprised the church even stayed together while we've been gone. I mean, you know, we were, you know, we were doing so much. Yeah, we were doing, I mean, you know, we've been on doing a little bit of sleeping late, playing ball on Sundays. And t- I mean, not playing ball, but sleeping late. I mean, while we were resting and visiting friends and working with us, you know. Gotcha. Yeah, and I mean, we know we were the spiritual backbone of this church for many years, and we're back now. We're, we're ready to plug in and serve, so sign us up. What can we do to be of service? Well, I was actually going to save this to the end of the service, but... Since you've asked, and since you're up here, I, I know that the ministry placement team met last Sunday morning, bright and early. So um, I've got a list of a few things. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and just sign you up since you guys are, are ready to serve and, and uh, fired up about being back here and everything. I'll tell you what, I was just bragging on our praise team and, and, and our, our worships. I, I just love our worship here. Have you ever thought about uh, the music department being a praise team, maybe being in the choir or something like that? Yeah, well, we done that one time in the choir, and I was really, really good at it, but, but she can't sing all that good. Oh, my gosh. We would practice at home for that Christmas choir, and Blaze would sit in the floor and howl the whole time you were singing. <laughs> he was howling because he liked it. He was trying to join in with me. Whatever. Uh, I can't sing in the choir because my voice gets lost in the choir. People just can't hear me. You mean you get lost in the choir. The people can't see you. <laughs> But yeah, I've really thought about that praise band, and I'm sure I'd be a blessing to everybody, but that Jeff Branson, he wants you to be here at 6.30 in the morning on Sundays. I think that's uh, 8.30. 6.30, 8.30, whatever. I'm not coming that early. <laughs> so mu- music's probably not your thing then. Um, let's see. Um, get away from this music idea. What, what about helping out with a youth group? Pastor Ben's always needing help with the youth group. Would you be willing to help out Have with our youth group? Have you lost your mind? Have you been around these flaky teenage girls? I mean, you can't have a conversation with them. They won't even look up. They're too busy emailing, texting, Instagramming, Facebooking, and what's that other one? Is it, is it twerking or tweeting? I think that's tweeting. <laughs> yeah, I can't be around those teens with that so-called contemporary Christian music. I can't even understand the words of it. But I guess they listen to their contemporary Christian music while they go on their contemporary Christian spring breaks, drinking their contemporary Christian beer, Wearing their contemporary Christian bikinis. Okay, and, um, okay, okay. Uh, I get where you're going with that. So it's probably that they're not going to make good youth workers here, Pastor Ben. I think uh, maybe kids ministry, uh, that's where the energy is. You want to work with the kids ministry? Have you walked by that kids center when Pastor Ben's in there with those hooligans? Hooligans, okay. Um, nursery, you could help out with the nursery. How about helping mm, with I don't know about the nursery. You got them crying babies, dirty diapers. We've been there and done that. I'm not doing that anymore. Been there, done that. Not doing it anymore. I guess you graduate from working with nursery. Let's see here. 
Um, I know you've helped out with ushers and greeters before. You want to help out with ushers and greeters again? That, that would be great. Yeah, as long as I can make some changes. I, mean, I would have them wearing pinstripe suits and coming in, and then I'd have them sit in the back. And anytime you have somebody get up, go to the bathroom during the service, we'd tackle them. I'd put away to all them distractions you, you got going on, Pastor. <laughs> I, might, I might be a little rough around here for our, uh, our crowd here in uh, northeast Georgia. Let's see. I've got it. Um, our Sunlighters, our senior adults, it's a great ministry, great opportunity. Be willing to work with our senior adults. Who can afford to go out and eat that often? <laughs> and what if somebody thinks I'm 55 if they see me out hanging out with them? Well, you wouldn't want them to think you're 55. No. All right. Um, let's see. Now, God does say something about respecting your elders, but I won't go there. Let's, uh, let's think of another area. Um, Administrative gifts. What about you? Have any administrative gifts like working with maybe personnel, finance, things like? Help oh, us I out see there. where you're going with that. You want us to handle the church's checkbook, decide um, where all the money's spent. I like that idea. Yeah, Pastor Robbie, and then we'll give you a bonus if you get us out by twelve. But now we're going to dock your pay if we're still here at twelve fifteen. All right, that's not going to work then. Let's see. <laughs> Take them off. Per- no, no, not on personnel finance. Um, hmm. Uh, not ready for administrative teams, said no to just about every area of humble service in the church. I know that there are more opportunities. Um, I just can't think of them right now unless you just want me to let you preach or something. Hey, hey, yeah, we can do that. I've been watching those um, TV preachers on TV. I think I could do that. And you know, preachers make a lot of money, and then you're only working two days a week. Yeah, I could definitely do that. Yeah, we can get out of debt. We can move this podium. We just send them high-dollar chairs over here. Really? <laughs> All right, y'all give them a hand this morning. <laughs> Big thanks to Jeff and Tanya helping me illustrate the importance of using our gifts for humble service in God's house. And of course, we could have listed uh, a dozen or so other areas of ministry. You've got a handout. Most of you received a handout. Uh, you'll have an opportunity to get that over the next couple of Sundays if you didn't get it this morning. Uh, that uh, uses the acrostic shape. I'll conclude the service by discussing what to do with that. But right now, I want you to look with me at 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. As we stand, we'll read these verses. We're continuing this series, 2020 Vision. We have talked about uh, service and stewardship, and now both service and stewardship come together in this thing that we're going to call spiritual gifts. So we're not leaving the subjects of Stewardship and service, as a matter of fact, we discussed stewardship this morning in our life group. It's wonderful how the Holy Spirit puts all that together. We're not leaving the subjects of service and stewardship, but we are bringing the idea, the concept of spiritual gifts to bear on that. So we'll see those words again this morning. Beginning with verse 7, now that you found that First uh, Peter chapter 4, it says, But the end of all things is at hand, therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as of the oracles of God. If anyone ministers or serves, let him do it with the ability which God supplies. 
that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Father, we do thank you for the awesome privilege you give us of being servants and stewards in the kingdom of God. Help us to understand that you have blessed us with these grace gifts for your glory, for your purposes, and I pray that we would not be negligent in employing them to make a difference in our world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. When Peter is writing this letter to the church that had been scattered at because of persecution, by this time Nero, the emperor, the Roman leader of the Roman Empire at that time, had burned Rome. In fact, he didn't admire some of the ancient construction as much as many, and he wanted to replace it with a lot of construction that would have his name on it. And so he was responsible for having the city burned, but when he saw that that was an unpopular decision, as the city probably burned a lot more than he had planned on seeing the city burn, when he had seen that the burning of Rome was going to be something that would have a negative impact on his leadership, he decided he would blame Christians, that it was the Christians and their unwillingness to say that Caesar is Lord, but to have to say that Jesus is Lord that it was those Christians that burned this city, and as he began to blame Christians, great persecution spread across the Roman Empire. Christians were persecuted to degrees that we can't even imagine today how so many of them gave their lives. I had a professor who studied the history of the, the church at this time, and he said that they would take the pure and innocent girls of this day who gave their life to Christ and were trying to live pure for him, and they would strap them to the horns of bulls and put these Christians in the arena strapped to the horns of bulls. The bulls would do battle with lions until these young ladies, because of their faith, were torn apart. The pastors and the young men who were trying to take a stand for Christ at this time, they would take them and wrap them in oily cloths, and they would tie them to poles, and they would lift them up, and they would set them on fire, and they would let them burn and say, you want to be the light of the world? Well, then you're going to light the Roman sky at night. The emperor Nero was a, an emperor that kind of drove the church to be an underground church. As a matter of fact, it was during that time that we come up with the sign of the fish that uh, some of you have on your car today. Those of you who uh, probably drive a little bit better than me and you like to put the sign of the fish on your car, uh, some of us just don't want to necessarily let our driving be a bad witness. But anyway, we, the sign of the fish happened because um, the Greek word for fish is ichthus, and ichthus became an acrostic for Jesus Christos, Jesus Christ, uh, Theos Weos, Son of God, uh, Soter, Savior. So Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior. It was a profession of faith. One Christian would walk up to another, and they would just kind of, just to make sure that this person was a believer, they would draw an ark in the sand with their feet, and the other believer would draw another ark, creating the sign of fish, and they knew at that point that they understood what they were talking about and that they had fellowship. This was a great time of persecution, and Peter is admonishing in the midst of all this persecution as you study this letter. He's saying, you know what? The family is going to have to stick together. Wives are going to have to love their husbands. Husbands are going to have to love their wives. And the church is going to have to minister together because the church has work to do and because the church is God's plan to reach this world Keep in mind today, church, that when we get frustrated at how things are going in the world in which we live, 
that it's no worse today than it was, and at least in this nation, it's not as bad as it was during the days of the Holy Roman Empire. And during the days of this Roman Empire, they were, as a church, saying, here's how we can stick together, here's how we can advance, and today, as a Christian, rather than cursing the darkness, we need to be asking, how can we stand together? What does it look like for a church to unite in purpose, to come together in purpose for the glory of God in a contrary world. Well, what Peter does in describing this is he gives us three characteristics of such a church. And I want you to write these down this morning. I want you to ask what your role is in making this happen. But as we think about this ministry vision, 2020 vision, sharpening the focus, where's God calling us? Let's not be discouraged so much by how dark the world is becoming, but let's ask how we can stand together to make a difference. First of all, I want you to see that they understood the priority of spiritual growth. See, a church that is going to have an impact for God's glory in a contrary world, will understand the priority of spiritual growth. He says here in verse 7, the end of all things is at hand or it's near, meaning the return of Christ and the consummation of the ages is imminent. Now, by imminent, we do not mean that necessarily it's going to happen in the next five years, ten years, or twenty years. Obviously, it's been a couple of thousand since these words were penned. By, the, by using the word imminent, we mean that it could happen any time. There is nothing left that has to take place in biblical prophecy before Jesus raptures his church out of here. So Peter understood we are living in the church age. It's now our day to get this job done. And church, Trinity, we are still living in that church age. We're not promised another day or another hour, but while we are on this earth, while the church is here, until the rapture, we're to see that the end of all things is at hand. The, the work we've got to do is now. The impact, the time for impact is now. And so understanding that, Peter told them a little bit about their spiritual growth. Therefore, be serious or sober-minded and, and be watchful in your prayers. So sober-minded, watchful, self-control, all of that are aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. You're under attack, then you better keep your composure. As a church, keep your composure while you're under attack. Have self-control. Be serious-minded. Don't play their game and attack back. So many times we're tempted to just kind of play their game. And then he says, watchful in your prayers. It's interesting that chapter 3 and verse 7 Men, when he's talking to the husbands about living with, with their wives in an understanding way, he says, do this, be Christ-like in your attitude, be understanding, dwell your, with your wives in an understanding way so that your prayers will not be hindered. In other words, if you're not living in harmony with the Spirit of God, then it's going to hinder your prayer life. Your prayers are going to be bouncing off the ceiling and, and the spiritual growth is not going to be taking place. So prayers, that's a reminder that prayer in your prayer life is one of the keys to spiritual growth, along with the Word of God. And when there's division in relationships, according to 1 Peter 3, 7, when there's a division in the relationship, when we're not living right with one another, it's hindering our prayer life. So you'll want to be right, in right relationship with your brothers and sisters in Christ as well. And those who live in your home, those with whom you attend church, those that you work and play with in this world that are believers in Christ, you want to be sure you're in right relationship. Now look at verses 8 and 9. 
he adds to that, and above all, have fervent love or sincere love for one another because love will cover a multitude of, tens, uh, of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Without grumbling. You know, Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, after it tells us to have the attitude of Christ in, in his humiliation that led to his exaltation, when it says, I want you to have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, that attitude of a humble servant, he comes back and says, do all things without grumbling or complaining. Do all things without grumbling or complaining. That creeps into our homes. It creeps into our churches. But grumbling and complaining can be evidence that we're not living the Spirit-filled life. Because going back to those first elements in this first ver- verse 7, the Spirit-filled life. We go to Galatians 5.22, for instance. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the character of Christ that's made manifest in us when we're walking in the Spirit and not in the flesh. When we get in the flesh, what do we do? We begin to grumble and complain. Now, how effective are we going to be in our service if we're grumbling and complaining? I've said it before. Nobody wants to serve on a, a, a ministry team with somebody who's grumbling and complaining. Nobody wants to go on a mission trip with somebody who's grumbling and complaining. Nobody wants to attend a deacon's meeting if somebody's going to be grumbling or complaining. Grumbling and complaining is an act of the flesh that causes us to not advance service in the kingdom of God. And so what we want to do is make sure that we understand the priority of spiritual growth and all of these elements that flow out of that, like fervent love he gives here for one another. It's that character of growth. In verse 11, it tells us that we're supposed to, if we speak, speak as one who has a word from God. Now, fortunately, today we have the Bible, and so we want to be guided by Scriptures in our speaking. But if we are serving, if we're ministering to one another, do it in the strength of God. What happens when we're not growing spiritually and we've signed up for service in the church, we've signed up to employ our spiritual gifts, but we're not growing spiritually is we begin to serve in the flesh and we get burnt out. We get frustrated and we're no fun to be around anymore. And so we want to make sure that we prioritize spiritual growth. The fact that we grow spiritually is of utmost importance. If we're not growing spiritually on the inside, then all we're doing on the outside is putting on a show. You know, in, uh, many years ago in the Rose Parade, there was one of the nice floats that ran out of gas. What was interesting about this float running out of gas, it was, it was the float that was owned and, and entered by the Standard Oil Company. Someone who ought to have great access to gasoline, they forgot about the most important. Oh, the outside was decorated beautifully, and it has to be in order to be entered into the parade of roses, the, the, the rose parade. But though it looked beautiful on the outside, it was empty on the inside. It ran out of gas, and if we're not careful, we'll be doing service in the church. We'll sign up for places, and we'll sign up for positions of service, and we'll be emptied. The Holy Spirit will not be filling us on the inside. That's why Galatians I mean, that's why Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18 says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled, be filled to overflowing. Keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. We leak, we've got to ask God to fill us afresh and anew every day and many days. We have to ask many times during the day. So spiritual growth is a priority. Peter would close his second letter, 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 18, when, by saying this, now grow 
in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Peter understood that in the midst of persecution, in the midst of the church seeking to be a light in a contrary world which did not like the message that the church had, that this church better be a church that prioritizes spiritual growth. And so we want to make that a priority here. When you look at other passages that talk about spiritual gifts, it always, the context always seems to, to put everything in place. For instance, 1 Corinthians chapters 12 and 14 deal with the spiritual gifts and how they're used in the church. But chapter 13, 1 Corinthians cha- chapter 13 is known as the what chapter? The love chapter. See, everybody knows that. Right in the middle of spiritual gifts, he says, I've got something more important to show you. Isn't that what he says in 1 Corinthians 13? Now I'm going to show you something better. What's better than spiritual gifts God has blessed us with to serve the body of Christ? Love. Because if you're not loving God and loving people, then all of your gifts are just going to be like clanging cymbals. You're going to be making a lot of noise, but it's not going to make sense to a lot of people. How do we grow in love? By being filled with the Spirit. Love is the fruit of the Spirit. So before you ask to teach or preach, especially before you decide you want to work with kids or in a nursery with teenagers, before you decide you want to sing or play an instrument or meet with a finance or personnel team or serve as a deacon, before you embrace any area of ministry, make sure that you are growing spiritually, that you are becoming mature in Christ spiritually. Because if you try to do any of those other things in the flesh, you will burn out, you will give up, and you'll be doing it and be no fun to be around whatsoever. And that's not where you want to be when it comes to ministry. And so they understood the priority of spiritual growth. Secondly, I want you to see that they understood the purpose of stewarding grace. A church that makes a profound impact in a contrary world will understand the purpose of stewarding grace. We saw that this morning in our life group, the purpose of stewardship, the place of stewardship in the the body of Christ. I want you to realize that we're stewarding the grace of God. In verse 10, he says, as each one has received a gift. By the way, that means everybody, every member of the body of Christ, every born-again Christian has at least one spiritual gift. Some have more depending on how God sovereignly has decided to work in your life. Sometimes we get a little bit jealous of that. I always hate to be around those preachers who can sing too. You know what I'm saying? Those guys who can stand up and and preach down the stars, and then they get up and they they begin to break into song, and they can sing beautifully. I'm thinking, man, that's not fair. God God gave you too many gifts. Have a seat. Let somebody else sing. Uh, Just kidding. God give you a gift, use it. He says, use it to do what? serve or minister to one another. That means we're to be channels of God's grace. His grace is to flow through us like a channel. We're to be, as he says here, look at the wording, as stewards of the manifold grace of God. Stewards of the grace of God. See, the very word gift, when we talk about spiritual gifts, the very word gift in the Bible has at its root the word grace. It's the difference between charis and charismata. Charis is God's unmerited favor, God's grace. Charismata, charismata, if you want to say it that way, has to do with the grace gift. The gift that wasn't earned, wasn't deserved, but because God loved you, he gifted you and asked you to use that gift in the church. So gifts are for a mission of ministry. 
That's what the gifts are for. Gifts are not to make us look or feel better about ourselves. Gifts are so that we can minister. If we think about the mission of the church, uh, we can summarize that mission in three words. Evangelize, equip, and exalt. Evangelize, equip, exalt. What's our mission? We're to evangelize the sinner, right? We're to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the uttermost parts of the world and to our own neighborhood and share the love of Christ with everybody we come in contact with. We're to evangelize. That's others. We're to equip. We're to equip the body of Christ for the work of the ministry. Equip the saints, if you will. Evangelize sinners, equip saints. Spiritual gifts help us evangelize. Spiritual gifts help us equip. And then we're to exalt. We're all to come together and exalt the Savior. Evangelize the sinner, equip the saints, exalt the Savior. Spiritual gifts were incorporated this morning in a variety of ways to help us simply exalt the Savior. And it's worth our gathering in this place to just exalt the Savior. And sometimes I forget about that last one, and it's probably the most important. I I make the mistake, Jeff, I've made the mistake even this past week, sometimes talking with staff. I I ask the question, would this help us reach more people? Would this help us reach more people? Because I feel like that's what we're all about as a church. But sometimes I need to ask the question, not would this help us reach more people, will this just help us exalt the Savior? Because if it helps us exalt the Savior, then we're serving one of our purposes as a church, as the body of Christ. We're channels of that grace. Romans chapter 12 and verse 16, uh, verse 6. Romans 12 also deals with the gifts, the grace gifts. And it says that God has given us gifts differing according to the grace. Gifts differing, a, a variety of gifts. 1 Corinthians 12 says the same thing. God gives us a variety of gifts that no gift is for everyone. Paul reiterates that again and again. No particular gift is a gift that everybody has. We all have different gifts. By the way, that's why we should never choose one gift and say that that gift is the sign that somebody is spirit-filled because we don't all have the same gifts. So never let a gift be a sign. What's the sign that you're spirit-filled? It's not the gifts. It's the fruit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the evidence of the spirit-filled life. That's why it's so important to make spiritual growth a priority And then after you've made spiritual growth a priority, you be a channel of the grace gifts. There's a picture of a a Roman aqueduct that we were able to see when uh, we went to Israel. It's in uh, Caesarea, there by the sea. And this Roman aqueduct, Rome was famous for their aqueducts. They became literally channels of water to get fresh water all over the known world at that time through these aqueducts. Some were built very high and some seemed to be low, depending on how far they had to take water. And you can travel and and see many of the ruins of the Roman aqueducts. Somebody got the bright idea one day that the aqueducts should not just simply be uh, used to transport water because they were afraid the water would erode the aqueduct. And what they found out when they quit letting water flow through many of these aqueducts that they did exactly what this one right here did. Because of the arid atmosphere in these areas, they begin to deteriorate, and they begin to fall apart. I think that's what happens for Christians. When we begin to uh, not use our gifts, 
when, when we forget that we're a channel of the grace gifts, that, that it's got to be flowing through us. When we say, you know, I'm going to take some time off from serving God, we begin to dry up. And we begin to deteriorate. We begin to crumble spiritually because we're not letting the water of life flow through us. We need to understand the, the purpose of stewarding grace. We're just a channel of God's grace, these grace gifts that God can flow through us and administer to those who are lost the gospel. And, and many of you will communicate the gospel in different ways because of a variety of gifts that we can equip, we can edify the body of Christ, the saints, and that we can exalt the Savior. God gives us different gifts. We need to let those gifts flow through us for those purposes or we'll crumble. To be a good steward, I've got to sharpen those gifts. And then finally, number three, I want you to see this third characteristic. They understood the program of spiritual gifts. They understood the program, not just the purpose of stewarding grace, but the program of spiritual gifts. Now, I love Peter because he summarizes it with two words. I've mentioned both Romans 12 and uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where they give us long lists of spiritual gifts. But when you come here to verse 11, it says, If anyone speaks, let him speak as of the oracles of God. If anyone serves, it says serves in the ESV, ministers in the uh, King James, let him do so with the ability which God supplies. So he talks of speaking gifts and service gifts. Now, when you look at Romans 12 or 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14 or Ephesians chapter 4, then we realize that there is no exhaustive list of gifts in the Bible. Why? Because all of those lists do not match up. All of those lists include some gifts that overlap with the other chapters, and they all include some gifts that the other chapters don't include. So we can deduce by that that there is no exhaustive list of gifts in the Bible which tells me that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, no author set out to list every gift there possibly is. That may mean that some of you are gifted in areas that you don't even find when you're reading the Bible. God's just gifted you in that area. And so don't get tied too tightly to those gifts. However, there are wonderful examples. For instance, under the speaking gifts, I believe that Peter would have included what Paul included in Ephesians 4.11, when he talks about those leaders that spoke in the church. He said to some he gave apostles. Those were originally the 12 apostles. And while I do not believe apostolic authority exists today in the same way because we have the Word of God, I do believe that there are those who are given the gift of church planting. They go to new places and start churches. And so we might consider that some kind of apostolic, little a, uh, apostolic gift. He gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some in the last one, I believe, is what he's called me to do and where he's gifted me. Some is pastor-teachers. It's a compound Greek word. Some translations, like the King James, put the word pastors and teachers. But it's one word in the Greek. It's the word pastor-teacher, the teaching shepherd or the teaching elder of a particular church. And so those are all speaking areas, speaking gifts. There may be someone here this morning, you feel like you're called into vocational ministry. And you would begin to study Ephesians 4 and say, hey, that's what God's calling me to be about. But when we look at the other passages in 1 Corinthians and, and Romans, we see gifts like wisdom. Wisdom is that supernatural insight on a matter that can only come from God. And you know when you're around somebody with a gift of wisdom because they could only receive that wisdom from God. The way they can discern and understand the Scriptures just blows your mind. 
There's the gift of knowledge. The, the gift of knowledge, by the way, young people don't always like this one. The gift of knowledge is the gift of being a good student as well. Someone who has a gift of knowledge has a gift of learning. That They learn, and they're ever learning, and they're always wanting to learn more. And as they're learning and growing, they express the knowledge that God has given them. So it may not appear as supernatural as wisdom, but it is. There's the gift of exhortation. That's a speaking gift. Exhortation, to, to be able to speak encouragement into somebody's life, to be able to speak in a way that just builds people up. And we like to be around people that have the gift of exhortation because when we're around those people, we just feel so built up. You know, if they've got the gift of exhortation and they're challenging us to be an evangelist, we feel like we could assault hell with a water pistol by the time we finish talking with them. We're like, yeah, I'm ready to get after it. There's the gift of evangelism. I'm not talking about the Ephesians 4 office of an evangelist, but I'm talking about the gift of evangelism. There are people that have the gift of being not only able to communicate the gospel because we are all called to witness, right? We're all called to witness, but these people not only have a gift of being able to communicate the gospel, they have a gift of being able to draw the net. It seems that these preachers and, and, and evangelists, and even if they're, they're lay evangelists, in other words, they're not serving in a local church anywhere, they just have a gift of when they give an invitation, when they invite somebody to trust Christ, people just do it. And we're like, wow, man, everywhere they go, they're leading people to faith in Christ. So we're all called to witness, but some have the gift of evangelism. Those are just examples of speaking gifts. What about serving gifts? Serving gifts. They're, these are those saints of God who would say, you know what, I'll do anything you would ask me to do, Pastor. Just don't put me on that platform in front of a crowd. That's just not me. These are people that have gifts like healing. I believe that, and, and that God manifests his healing in a couple, we might call it manifestational healing, where for some reason we can't explain except for the sovereignty of God. We lay hands on somebody, we anoint somebody with oil, and God brings a supernatural healing in their life. And I believe God can move on any Christian, young or old, anywhere. And I don't believe it's that, well, he's a faith healer. If he was a faith healer, he would go to the hospital and just lay his hands on everybody and send them home. It's that God supernaturally heals himself by the Holy Spirit through that person, person who faithfully prays. But there's another area of healing where people are gifted as doctors and nurses, and they know how to administer healing into people's lives. They know how to come along somebody who's hurting, maybe emotionally, and bring comfort and healing in that process. Maybe it's the gift of helps. That person who just wants to serve. The person with the gift of helps is, is when everybody else has, has cleared the place after uh, we've had some kind of exciting activity here and we know we've got to set up chairs. The person with the gift of helps is that person who lingers around and helps you set up chairs and clean tables and does other things. That's the gift of helps, the gift of service. Some people are just gifted. By the way, we should all serve, but some people are gifted in that area. There's the gift of giving. It's that person who has a strong faith that God wants you to be a channel of that grace. We were talking about being stewards of grace. We become channels. And, and you see, if you've got the gift of giving, you see yourself simply as a channel that God is, is blessing you with resources and letting those resources flow through you to minister to others who have needs or to, to, to ministry and missions all over the world. That's the gift of giving. And it's hard to recognize the people who have the gift of giving because they never want anybody to know that they gave. That's the cool thing about the gift of giving. It's, it's, it's the people that I know that have that spiritual gift, of just being that channel. And we're to all be good stewards, right? We're to all give. But people who have that gift, they don't want anybody else to know that they were giving. They just want to give. Just want to be a blessing to somebody. 
There's a gift of ruling or administration. Those administrative gifts we were talking about earlier. They can organize a team to get things done. Now, this is a wonderful gift, and you need leaders. Sometimes we've even, we make mistakes around here. We will say, well, you know, this team, this team really needs servants, and we won't put a leader on that team. And all the servants are standing around going, what are we going to do? When are we going to do it? We need a leader. Uh, we need people with gifts of administration on every ministry team. We need people with a gift of, of administration and leadership in every life group, every small group that meets in our church. Because they're the ones that say, you know what, we need to put a deadline on this. We need to accomplish this. We need to get this done. They're they going to organize. How are we going to make it happen? Who's going to be responsible for what? And so things begin to take place as a result of that. Then there's the gift of mercy. Those who are serving by simply identifying with Christ and his compassion when somebody else has a broken heart. Your heart breaks with those who are hurting. You're, you know, somebody like me who, who may be a, a pastor teacher with a little bit of a prophetic gift and somebody comes to me for counsel and I'm going to say, you know what, apply this verse, this verse, this verse and go get over it. Somebody who has the gift of mercy is going to put their arm around you and cry with you through it. Now, all of us are called to show mercy. <laughs> As a matter of fact, God says, I'm not going to show any mercy on those who have shown no mercy. So though that might not be my gift, and it's not, God tells me to be merciful. But some of you are just gifted at it. It comes naturally for you to mourn with those who mourn, to embrace those who need somebody to walk with them through a difficult season of life. So what do we do with these gifts? They understood the program of spiritual gifts. Some of you received a handout. Most of you did, hopefully, when you came in. Uh, I want to be sure that uh, at least all of our high schoolers and adults get one of these over the next uh, week or two or three, and I want to begin to see these trickle back in. But I want you to think about what kind of shape you're in. Pastor, you're one to be preaching about what kind of shape we're in this morning. Now, I, want to, I, want to, I want you to look at this acrostic, shape, S-H-A-P-E. And I want you to ask yourself those questions that are on that handout that you received. If you didn't get one, don't worry. We'll get one to you next week. We'll have them in the bulletin the next couple of weeks so that everybody can get a copy. But I want you to pray through this. Some of you have already, by the way, how many of you have done a spiritual gifts inventory before? Maybe even this week. Raise your hand. All right, a good number of you have. So you can use that. You can begin to employ that even this morning. I ask you to bring them with you for this purpose, to fill out, help you fill out this form a little bit. S stands for spiritual gifts. If you already know it, maybe because you did an inventory, maybe because of life's experiences, you've kind of figured it out and some people have helped you understand it, write down what your spiritual gift is. If you know what your spiritual gift is, go ahead and just kind of write that in. What's, what's my spiritual gift? S is for spiritual gifts. You want to... Think through that. Pray through that. H, hobbies. What do you like to do? What do you enjoy doing? What kind of lights your fire? Hey, when I do this, this is fun. Write down your hobbies. What are your hobbies? H is for hobbies. A, abilities. What are you good at? Well, pastor, I'm just not good at anything. Oh, that's not true. You're good at something. Ask the per person sitting to your right or left. Just say, hey, what am I good at? What am I good at? See, some of you are gifted artists. You're going to help make this place look better, right? So, so what, what is it that you're gifted at? What, what, what's your abilities? What are you good at? 
Then P, passions. What are your passions? What, what do you get fired up about? What are those things that when you think about ministries in the church, that's one you're passionate about? See, if you're passionate about missions, you feel like everybody ought to give and go. You know what I'm saying? Everybody ought to give to missions. Everybody ought to go on a mission trip. Then maybe you ought to be on our missions team. What are you passionate about? What, what's, what drives you? And write that down. And then E, when we come to the end of our shape, we want to think about our experiences. Everybody has experiences. Now, the older you get, the more experiences you have. But where are you experienced? See, we have experienced teachers that ought to be teaching a life group. Because we use that. Listen, God uses teachers outside of the church. I thank God for that. He wants to use them in the church to build the kingdom, to disciple people in Christ. We've got experienced businessmen and women. How can you use that? How can you use those administrative experiences to help the body of Christ? What are your experiences? How can you use that to plug into the body of Christ to serve the Lord and to build his kingdom? What kind of shape are you in? And then when you look back over that list, some of you may want to just begin to study that right now. When you look back over that list, what is it obvious that God is doing in your life? And we're going to talk about the call of God in the, in the weeks to come and, and, and how God's calling us and, and how he's leading us and how we can discern his voice. But when you look over that list, what does common sense tell you? Wow. So here's an area. There's some places at the bottom of that. I want you to, some of you that are prepared to do that today, go ahead and do that today. Circle some of those areas and say, I'm willing to serve in this area or that area. And then there's a place for you to put other areas because I know that that's not an exhaustive list of opportunities in the church. So I didn't see this word, but I'd really like to serve in this area. Kind of write that down. We're not saying that because we're going to guarantee that everybody just kind of handpicks. I realize our ministry placement team will pray over this and, and say, Lord, where are you leading and calling us to enlist people to serve? But bottom line is, more often than not, we have what Jesus ran into in Matthew, and that's the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. More often than not, there's, there's so many areas where we don't have people that need to be serving, then there are an overload. <laughs> well, we got too many people that want to go on a mission trip. That usually doesn't happen. We got too many people that want to teach a class. That usually doesn't happen. So circle those areas where you'd be willing to serve or write other and, and, and fill that out. Say, well, you know, I just, I don't know if I'm ready to make a commitment like that. Let's never forget what Christ committed to us. God the Son stepped out of heaven and gave himself to us. That's the greatest gift that's ever been given. When God gave himself to us on a cross, he died for my sin, for your sin, that we might have life and have it more abundantly. And now he's saying, you know what? My coming is imminent. I can come anytime. Until then, be faithful serving. By the way, here's some gifts. Use them. Here are the gifts. Use them. And when he comes again, I want to be found faithful. Yes, Lord. I was using what you gave me to use to do what you called me to do when you found me. Let's be good stewards of that grace. Would you bow your heads with me?